we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that. We don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. He's Nick Springer. We're hey. brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. We're going to have fun today. Kansas takes down Cincinnati 74 to 69. Who? We are going to be Did recapping what? the show when? with Kansas and Cincinnati Where? Uh, all day long. You're distracting me. Uh, we are going to be joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports at 340. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports at 440. And KU Basketball Talk all throughout the day. We'll talk a little NFL Divisional Round recap coming up at 4 o'clock. And we'll get to some Bill Self audio later in the show. Kind of a physical, ugly game. Um, I mean, it wasn't like 74-69. That's not... You know, Virginia or some Iowa State <laughs> games where we've seen it be like 62-60. But it was a game where both teams missed a lot of, I guess, yeah. shots at the rim. Cincinnati missed a bunch of pretty good looks from three. I think it was a bit of reversion from the West Virginia game. But also, you know, that's a bit of Cincinnati's profile. They're not a good offense team, so you do expect that in game yeah, plan. To they're that. definitely better on defense. And you had to kind of grind it out. And in certain areas, they grinded you out. Like the rebounding was still a problem for KU. Yeah. Yep. And some other things, but you found a way to win the game, and it was it was basically basically on the the tail of two players. It was your wings. Yep. It was Kevin McCuller who scored twenty points on an inefficient twenty points, but grinded his way to it. And it was mainly Johnny Furphy. Johnny Furphy. And I don't baby. even think we can say it's a like you know how a lot of times during the season we'll be like that was the Nick Timberlake game or that was the I don't know name a pass play that was the Joe sure. Yesifu game right. <laughs> Like, sure. it'll be some role player who steps up and has a big game, and, like, that was that game. Like, I, I still remember there was a game where KU played at TCU in the 2018-19 season that they won in either overtime or double overtime, and it was the uh, K.J. Lawson game because he hit a couple big shots for you, right? <laughs> Those are reserved for role players because guess what? Kevin McCuller does it, like, every game. Hunter but, Dickinson does it every game. You know who's not a role player? Who? Johnny Furphy. And that's the thing. That's not a role player. It is no longer, you can no longer say this was the Johnny Furphy game because we're getting multiple Johnny Furphy games. It is just a Johnny Furphy game, not well, the Johnny Furphy game. In the first four minutes of games, Johnny Furphy is Michael Jordan. Yes. Dude, unstoppable. It's, I, I don't even know how to explain it. He just, it's, it's incredible. He was in some way responsible for the th- first 13 points in the first four minutes against West Virginia. He goes off again in the first four minutes of this one as KU gets out to a, I think it was like a 10 to 2 lead before Cincinnati like took a timeout. Yeah. And he ends up with the double double over 20 points, leads you in scoring, leads you in rebounding. Uh, he just stretches the floor. He adds so much on the offensive end of the court. Yeah. When KU made the change to putting Johnny Furphy into the starting lineup, I think the idea was you, you weren't expecting get more this. than Marco Jackson, but yes, you were expecting more what you saw in the first game he started against Oklahoma. Seven points, you know, maybe a handful of rebounds, help space the floor, add some aggressiveness out there. You were expecting that. Right now, what you're getting over the last three games is 
Yeah. I mean, he's not going to end up being an All-American or All-Big 12 or anything like that because the, the overall course of the season won't be there. I guess he could get All-Big. If he keeps doing this the rest of the way, he won't be like first team, but could he be like All-Big 12, third team? Yeah, sure, why not? But like, you are not expecting this. And it is pretty incredible what he has done to the the lineup and to the roster and how much he changes, I think, the ceiling of what this team can be. Yeah, and he also brings a ton of energy to the crowd, too. I yeah. mean, every time he's making Including plays. Including his parents in the stands. Yes. That was cool. Yes. Every time he's making plays, the crowd really loves him also. They really, really feed off that as well. So, yeah, he just is doing everything, right? And it's it's very, very impressive. And even if the discussion was, well, do you lose a little bit defensively with Furphy instead of playing El Marco? That's, that conversation is completely out the window because of everything else that he brings beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. As a rebounder, certainly as a scorer, as a three-point shooter, uh, he's he's just really, really a do-it-all guy and has stepped in at really in the nick of time for this Kansas team, right? Uh, I mean, if you go one more game without starting Johnny Furphy, if you're Bill Self, things could be looking a lot different, right? So he was really inserted into the starting lineup at pretty much just the right time uh, to sort of kind of kickstart Kansas and, and get them going on the offensive end and, and figuring out how they want to play with their fifth starter. Uh, I mean, Bill Self made the comment, you know, I think it was after the Oklahoma State game where he said, we, we found our fifth guy. Yeah, you're damn right you found your fifth guy uh, because he's he's very, very impressive as a freshman and is really, really stepping up and, and playing at a high level because this was a game where Hunter Dickinson gets in foul trouble, Kevin McCuller was inefficient. Without Johnny Furphy, you don't win the game. No. You don't even come close, probably. I mean, he, he was really the catalyst in a lot of situations for the, for the offense because Dewan Harris continues to be uh, up and down. KJ Adams, while still being very versatile and still being a high-level player, in terms of his scoring, he's kind of dipped a little bit from what we saw maybe earlier earlier on. Uh, so that was really you needed him. You needed Johnny Furphy to do what he did to win the game. Yeah, you really did. And every single thing that he did was was so helpful. Whether it was the three-point shooting, whether it was the just being aggressive on the offensive end of the court, whether it was opening up spacing for other players, whether it was grabbing some offensive rebounds that led to extra possessions. He had a couple hustle plays getting on the floor and everything. Uh, They win at him a few times defensively, and yeah, there were a few times where maybe he gave up a bucket or or allowed a player to kind of get by him. Um, But overall, he held up pretty well, and and I don't think the defense is ever going to be, you know, maybe a strength for this year specifically. I do think it will get better because you're talking about a guy who's athletic, lengthy, and he's just a freshman, so theoretically, and he tries hard, so like he's gonna become better on the defensive end of the court. Yeah. But it's just that even if he's just an average defender, with what he adds to the offense, that is enough for this team. Absolutely. And when you look at where they were offensively before he became a starter to where he is now, it's night and day what this offense is. I'll be honest, like it's just I think easier on the eyes to watch this team with him as a starter. Like it feels less clunky to me. It's just a more entertaining product. I, I kind of feel like. I think we're getting to a point now, too, where, like, Johnny Furphy is becoming KU's best pro prospect. I don't mean that from a standpoint of Johnny Furphy is going to be the highest drafted player in this next NBA draft. That'll be Kevin McCuller because there still will be questions about Johnny Furphy with, like, okay, he's still really young and he's skinny and, you know, can you do it for more than half a season? And I don't know if that question I, – I did see some people have started talking about this. Like, he's going to start popping up on draft boards. He might. He might. But I, I'm still hesitant on that because I, I know I've made comparisons to the 2018-19 team with this year's team. There's another comparison there to be made about Ochag Baji, right? If you remember, Ochag Baji ripped his red shirt, and then he came in right away. In his first couple games, he he was averaging like 15, 20 points per game. And then things tailed off a little bit. 
Uh, obviously, Ochai's career is is pretty well respected and and speaks for itself in in what it was. Um, and he ended up being a, a top twenty pick in the NBA draft. I, I don't think it would take Furphy four years. But I guess point being, I remember after those first few games with Ochai, it was like, oh, this guy's gonna is he gonna be a one and done? I'm not ready to get there with Johnny Furphy after a few nice games. But I do think it does show that maybe by the end of like uh, the way you view it right now, Johnny Furphy next year. I guess we'll wait and see what happens with Hunter Dickinson. Is he going to come back? Is he going to stay? And, and those conversations will be had later in the offseason. Kevin McCuller obviously gone. I think there's a good chance right now, if you were betting who's going to lead Kansas in scoring for next season, Johnny Furphy would be number one on that could list. Be. You know, I, I don't. I mean, I guess it would depend on how you view KJ Adams and what his yeah. role could be. Maybe. I guess that's true. Uh, but with with Furphy, I, I think he's their best pro prospect overall. So, like, if you were to say everybody on the roster overall right now. Who will be the best NBA player from the group when we fast forward 10, 15 years from now? Probably Johnny Furphy. It's Johnny Furphy. Yeah, probably. Which is pretty crazy what what he has kind of uh, added to this game. It was a game that he took over, and I do think it's interesting you brought up K.J. Adams because I do have some questions about what now becomes, I guess, how does this impact K.J. Adams? It's clear to me that there's maybe less rebounds to be about for KJ Adams, but I do think this is going to be a good thing for, for the team kind of overall. So um, biggest takeaways for me outside of Johnny Furphy, I guess the rebounding still bad for back-to-back games. That's rebounding. a bit concerning. Very this bad. one's less concerning than the West Virginia game just because Cincinnati does it well, but yeah, they're you stack them together. Now yeah. it does give me hope that they had those back-to-back bad turnover games with TCU and UCF and they figured it out since then. They've had low turnover games ever since. Sure, yeah. It gives me hope that the rebounding can be better. And Bill Self said in the post game about the rebounding, he said that I don't think we're ever going to be a great rebounding team, but he said we need to be a good rebounding team. Yes. And I think that that's pretty indicative of what it can be. You don't necessarily have be, to be a strength. But yeah, it can't be your biggest weakness. It can't be, yeah, it can't be it, this. Yeah, it can't be what it has been the past two games. And you look at the personnel, there's no reason they can't. Yeah, you got a 7-2 guy and you got... The most athletic guy on the floor, probably in most situations, KJ Adams, mm-hmm. and, and then, then you want to throw Furphy in there. Kevin McCuller's a good and rebounder. Kevin McCuller, yeah, yeah. There's no reason you can't be better at it. Also, why can't Dewan make a layup? What's up with that? Yeah, do we need to have a, a deeper discussion here about Mr. Harris mm-hmm. and the fact that he's been up and down? He was under a microscope for a while. People were dogging him. Then K started playing a little better, and it seemed like people kind of were okay. Now it seems like people are back to being on downswing. Yeah. Well, I mean, five turnovers. The rest of the team had six combined. Yeah, the one really that. bad one late. That was late. Brutal. That you thought you would put it away with the Furphy yeah. kind of three. And I mean, and you know, the discussions we've had is there's no question that in certain aspects, Dewan's game has taken a bit of a step back this season. Mm-hmm. You look at his defense specifically, uh, where it's maybe hasn't been as consistently as good as in the past. But I mean, he still leads the conference in assists. Uh, you, the scoring, it's just. The, the scoring, you just got to take that with a grain of salt, right? Mm-hmm. You just have to understand that that's not necessarily what he's going to be doing. He's going to be looking to pass. He's going to be looking to, to do two different things. And and I don't know that we've talked about this at specifically as much, but I've kind of, I think I kind of mentioned it while you were gone with with Dewan. Is like when you are when you have the ball in your hands for as much as Dewan Harris does, and you play as many minutes as he does, that is going to fatigue you. Mm-hmm. And when you are fatigued you're probably going to be more likely to make more mistakes. So I think, objectively, Dewan Harris has not been as good this year overall. 
But I think what's compounding that is the fact that you don't have a second guy that can come in and run the point for this offense at really at all, right? I mean, as a Marco Jackson, okay, I guess. I mean, I mean, seriously, let's be honest here. We've seen it's been resorted to KJ Adams bringing the ball up the floor sometimes. Yeah, for KU, you don't have a second guy who can run the point, and so when you're asking Dewan Harris to have the ball in his hand like 80% of the time on offense, running the point, and then expecting him to play at, as a high of level of defense as he played in the past, I do think it's a bit unrealistic to, to think that. That being said, though, there's definitely room for him to be better than he has been so far this season. I think that's totally fair to have that conversation, and, and there were some good flashes in this game. Like Early on in the game, he had a couple big buckets. He had the one and one. He hit the three in the first half. Um, he, he had eight assists, like that's good, but yeah, the turnover number's high, the um, key one that we mentioned, kind of late, inability yeah, to make a layup. I, I was looking at this today, and every player who is qualified for this stat, just in terms of the amount that they've taken per CBB analytics, field goal percentage at the rim, It as far as who those are, the players who are qualified, it's every scholarship player except Jamari McDowell. So basically eight players that KU has who are qualified for a field goal percentage at the rim. Every single player on KU is 64% or higher, except for Dewan Harris. The gap drops all the way down to in the 40s. And, and it, what's weird yeah. is that I saw uh, Isaac Trotter tweeted this out, who, who works for 24-7 Sports, yesterday that what's weird is that Dewan in the past has been good on lay. Like, he shot... You know, maybe not elite at it, but he's been solid at it. He shot in the 50s both seasons uh, of the last two years on on layups inside. So I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know if he's pressing. I don't know if there's something else going on there. Uh, That's something you need to get kind of figured out. If it's, you know, whatever. I don't know. This was a weird game in the second half also where typically in games like this, what you see happen is, especially with Cincinnati really unable to make a shot for a good chunk of the second half, is you'll see the lead, maybe it's maybe it's like KU by six, whatever, and then KU will just push the gas pedal a little bit more, and with the help of Allen Fieldhouse crowd, it becomes a six, becomes twelve, becomes fifteen, and you've put the game out of reach. Mm-hmm. That never happened in this game. KU never was able to really do that. They were never able really to find that extra gear to hit for, uh, you know, two minute span where they could really deliver that knockout blow, and that allowed Cincinnati to really hang around until the very end. Uh, which I find that to be, I guess, file that under the category of, like, hmm, eyebrow-raising. Like, you're playing against objectively a lesser opponent at home. You pretty much had him on the ropes for a good chunk of the second half, but you never quite, you never really knocked him out. Mm-hmm. And in previous years, that's been the staple of KU at home, has been you wear down your, a lesser opponent, and then again, you know, 10, 12 minutes left the second half, it's like a six-point game, and then pow, within the span of two minutes, you you hit a three, you make a big whatever, you get the crowd on their feet, and all of a sudden, six becomes 12, and you feel like the game's out of reach, and it's over. They weren't able they weren't able to ever really do that. I mean, you hit the big three with Johnny Furphy late to make it 10 with two minutes left. That felt like that moment. But then Cincinnati got four points in 15 seconds, and then you had to sweat out the rest of the game. So... I, I I don't know. I mean, it's I guess maybe that's just maybe that's just the nature of Big Twelve play. But yeah, file that under the hmm category of you had to, you. De- I mean, there's no question. Ku had Cincinnati against the ropes. 
I think, for a majority of the second half. They could not hit a shot. Right. And KU was never able to find that extra gear to really, really push the lead to double digits and, and, and put it out of reach. They just never did it. And to me, that's been a staple of so many great KU teams in the past and so many experiences at Allen Fieldhouse is you look up and it's a six-point game and then 90 seconds goes by and it's a 12-point game and the game's over. That never happened. Yeah, it, it never did, and that's something that I, I know Evan Miyakawa tracks these things he calls kill shots, I'm pretty sure, that, that are 10-0 runs to what you're talking about. And uh, KU actually, they usually have yeah, high I mean, numbers of that. The on-field last run, right? Yeah, Normally in the second half, you have the on-field last run. This year, run. they're on the lower end of uh, the country so far. So It doesn't, I, I don't it doesn't know even have to be a 10-0 to. run, but you, know, you see what I'm saying? Like, again, yeah, it's KU a kill was shot. Up, yeah, KU was up you know, six, eight points for a good chunk of the second half. Right. Oh, Cincinnati couldn't hit a shot, and KU never was able to really put the foot on the throats and, and knock them out. Yeah, and I think there's a correlation there between, because this was another game that KU didn't cover the spread. This was another game that was a little bit closer than maybe you would expect. And so you look at some of their metric ratings and stuff, they, they continue to kind of drop with wins like this. And, and I don't yeah, think Cincinnati's a bad team at all, though, by the way. No, I, I think they're a good team, for sure. Um, maybe they're an NCAA tournament team. It's tough because uh, who knows how many wins know, you go eight have in the ball, right? Yeah, you go, if you're Cincinnati and you go 8-10 and 10 in conference... Or seven and eleven in conference. Yeah, it's just it's, you're probably it's tough to get in. Not know? making the NCAA tournament. So, I don't know. Uh, kind of a weird thing with with how that all went down. Yeah, I, I didn't know how to uh, evaluate the defense to be honest in this game because you come off the West Virginia game, the defense wasn't great. Part of it was just West Virginia going off. I felt like in this game, Cincinnati definitely could have scored at a higher efficiency if they yeah. made some shots either around the rim or, or that they had open from three. Lukosius, who's a good shooter for them, just was straight up missing. So you get credit for being physical and rugged and taking away some stuff, but with the amount of offensive rebounds they had and some of the open looks, I do think you were a little bit fortunate there on the defensive end of the floor. That becomes the question to me now. Like For, for the longest time this season, the question to me was, can they figure out the offense? Because the defense was top 20, and the offense was ranking closer to like 40th. Now they've started to figure out the offense. Big correlation with Johnny Furphy in there. The question to me becomes, okay, now that I think you have Furphy in the starting lineup, I think you have a good enough offense to make a Final Four to win the national title. Yeah. The question to me becomes, can you become a top 10 defense? Can you become elite on the defensive end of the floor? I wouldn't classify them even close to being elite at this point in time, but... We've seen before, usually once we get to the end of January, the beginning of February, that is when Kansas makes their most strides on the defensive side of the court. Which, that happens to also correlate with when the Big 12 schedule becomes true, very, very difficult. So, if that switch isn't flipped by Kansas, they could run into some possible problems early in February. Uh, bottom line here, you won a physical tough game. Uh, Hunter Dickinson was in foul trouble, so you had to survive that. That was something where... Haven't seen that yet. Yeah, and, and I was actually surprised at the end of the day when I looked up and he played 30 minutes because it felt like he was off the floor for longer than 10 minutes. Well, he didn't score in the second half. That's crazy. Ten so, I mean, it, it's not just that he was out of foul or in foul trouble. It's that the foul trouble that he was in while he was playing probably did have an impact in how yeah. aggressive he wanted to play. Yeah, uh, sure. Also, Cincinnati has good interior defense, so you know that's going to make things a little bit tougher. And, and all things considering that, you still found a way to win a tough game um, kind of without... Hunter Dickinson in a full capacity role. You found a way to win a game that you missed a bunch of layups and, and everything. So just bouncing back was of the utmost importance after the West Virginia game. Still have more to prove. And all of a sudden, if you lose in Iowa State, you lose at Ames, a game that you're going to be underdogs in. 
you know, we're going to come back right here next Monday and be like, okay, they're four and three. Like, what's going on here? Now you're heading into your your really difficult stretch after the following Tuesday when you host Oklahoma State. But uh, this at least survives you to the next game and allows you to have that opportunity to kind of win back some, some. I don't know what the right word would be. Momentum. Some, some trust, momentum, whatever it would be headed into hey, the final portion. Don't apologize for winning the Big 12 at this point. Oh, That's no, definitely not. Don't apologize for winning the Big 12. No, and okay. I, I definitely think there's something here with how Furphy played that you could argue – even if Kansas doesn't end up winning the Big 12, if they go 11-7 and seven or something in the league and you end up getting a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament, but Johnny Furphy's playing better and you feel better about your starting five, I do think you're at a better place now for where you would feel about the NCAA tournament. Like, you could you could have won the league with Marco Jackson as a starter and gone 12-6 and six and Bill Self works his magic and you win the league. I feel better about their NCAA tournament hopes at this point in time than I do, even though I feel worse about their Big 12 title hopes because of those two early losses, just because of Furphy. So that's, I guess, a positive. Let's continue on with the KU Basketball Talk. Matt Tate's going to join us in about 15 minutes from right now. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Half past the hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports coming up. In about 10 minutes from right now, he'll talk some KU basketball with us. We'll talk more KU and Big 12 hoops. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports coming up at 440. And we've also got some Bill Self audio. Plenty more KU basketball talk throughout the remainder of the show here on KLWN. We uh, do have Hawk Talk later tonight, by the way, with Bill Self. So that'll be from 6 to 7 right here on KLWN, your original home for the Hawks, and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. All right, our KU hit of the week brought to you by Pearson Collision. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football or KU basketball. But in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision in Lawrence. As we've discussed before, this is a little bit more vague or fluid with how we interpret the hit of the week in basketball. Yeah, it's open open to interpretation. Open to interpretation. There's plenty of ways you can discuss it. By the way, uh, one thing I've, I've, I've been realizing is we've been doing this week in and week out. You know, we kind of came into the air and we're like, yeah, it could be hitting a shot or hitting a pass or, or whatever it is. Sure. One of the things we, we thought it could be was, you know, maybe you hit someone, you run into a charge or you take a charge, right? Mm. I was thinking back about this. The new rule that they applied about the charge rules there's has no been charges. awesome yeah, because the no, lack yeah. of charges has been phenomenal. Yeah. It's making it so much better to watch, is it not? Uh, dumb charbage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's definitely a lot different. There's no it's a lot different. It's, it's a lot smoother. I yeah. think last night was a little bit less of a smooth game. There were still plenty of whistles and everything, but still, I've enjoyed it uh, in a very real way. But yeah. we don't have those as often to bring on the hit of the week. Nonetheless, uh, here I mean, there's a lot of Johnny Furphy ones we could talk about. I, I I thought that one three that he hit to go up ten to two in the opening four minutes. You talked about he's the Michael Jordan of the opening four minutes. <laughs> it really is, it, and. Just to get Kansas out to a good start, to get the Allen Fieldhouse crowd up and into the game. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a great asset to have yeah. with Furphy because when Kansas got off to a, has gotten off to slow starts, they've they've lost UCF, mm-hmm. even going back to the Marquette game. So to have a guy who seemingly comes out in a flurry and can be explosive early, that's very good. Very good. Yeah, it is. So I, I thought that one would be up there. Uh, th- there was a beautiful pass. Dewan Harris hit Furphy with this yeah. bounce pass. One-handed bounce pass. For a layup that came yeah. off a steal to go up 42-37. That yeah. was good. Up 57-52, KJ takes the hit. 
The defender was vertical, so there was no foul. It was the right call. But he took the hit and powered in a layup. Then he hits the air with a heavy fist pump. KU went up seven with 5.53 left. I think that's a good hits one. the air. Yeah, he hits the air after he hit the defender. <laughs> and then he hit the shot. And he hit the backboard really hard. Lots wow. of hits on that one. Okay, wow. And then Johnny Furphy hitting the... It basically was the nail in the coffin, but because of yeah, the immediate response, screwed around. he kind of made it not the nail in the coffin, <laughs> but basically it was. Yeah. Hit the three as the shot clock expired with about two minutes to go to go up 10. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one, but I do like the Dewan Harris pass also mm-hmm. uh, because that was a really, really nice pass. One-handed bounce pass in between two defenders. Dewan Harris is not on our list yet. Mm. But also, I just realized neither is Johnny Furphy, actually. On the basketball leaderboard. I have a good feeling Furphy's going to get on there at some point. Well, for sure. He, I mean, I mean, it might be this one. Do you want to start with this one? or I actually I like, I the, I like the KJ one the best. <laughs> you just like the KJ one because it's he hit the defender, then hit the backboard. Isn't that the point? Then hit the shot. He hit, hit the air. so many things. He hit the backboard. He hit the player. He hit the shot. He hit the air. What else do you want? <sighs> hit everything. I mean, it's ultimate carnage. Okay, fine. All right. Go Physicality. Pick that one. I think there's better options on the board, but I can tell you want this one badly, so I'll let you have I it. I do want this one badly. All right, that gives KJ a lead. He has three. Nobody else has more than one. Yep. Physical dude. Yep. And we're, we'll talk about our play of the game later in the 5 o'clock hour. I, I think some of those that we talked about there have... Play of the game potential. Play of the game potential. That's, that's, so, a, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, that's why we're going to... All right, we're going to go uh, with KJ Adams there. Pearson knows accidents happen, understands the stress and pressure. Pearson embodies trusted experience, meticulous repair, and they work with your insurance. Pearson Collision Repair, 7th in Connecticut in Lawrence. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate, R1S1 Sports, joins us next to talk KU basketball. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind, and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Well, while I was gone the last couple weeks, I missed this time of day every week. Uh, Tuesdays, 3.40, joined by Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com. Matt, thanks for coming on the show, man, as always, and uh, nice to talk to you again. And uh, I guess first things first, the most prominent here, after last night's results, Johnny Furphy goes off, Joel Embiid scores 70 points in the in the uh, NBA. Who's your pick for the greatest Jayhawk basketball player of all time? Is it Furphy or Embiid? <laughs> uh, Furphy, man. I uh, I'm as uh, as you are. I'm a Nuggets fan, and and Joker should have three MVPs, not two. So I can't I can't say Embiid there. I have to say Furphy, <laughs> and he's still got so much more time to you know add to what is already a stellar and sterling resume i mean it's 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 uh terrifying how good this young man is and and the numbers he's putting up i mean what what is he averaging in his last one game 23 points and 11 rebounds something like that i mean that's pretty good averages yeah that that is pretty good averages and you know if he keeps (laughs) doing that for four years and they win the title every year then just like I, i think the plan is then boom how could you even argue against it 
Um, right. But how much right. realistically, uh, what we're seeing now with Johnny Furphy over these last couple games uh, as a starter, how much does this change, I guess, the ceiling or, or the outlook of the team moving forward the rest of the year? Yeah, no, I, I think it's huge. I mean, I, you know, the, the bottom line for me, and I'm sure this, this is how a lot of people feel, but, but you know, I can only speak for myself. The, the bottom line for me is, you can look at this team and and you can find all kinds of warts and there and, the, and there are some and there there are some significant ones and they are there, but they still have some of the best talent in the country and I I think one of the warts which is uh, lack of depth or bench production or however you want to word it, I just don't find that to be that big of a deal um, provided everybody stays healthy and and you know um, you, you don't have to worry about totally shuffling things or, or, you know, replacing someone uh, because those guys are all going to play big minutes. The, the starting five is able, capable, willing, and has proven that they can play 35 plus minutes a game. So um, at that point, you know, you just need a, a little bit from your bench. You don't need a lot. You don't need big minutes. You don't need huge production. If you get that in any way from anybody, it's gravy. But you don't need that. I mean, let's let's take the, the the big man position. You know, like Parker Brown can play five minutes a game. He can play seven minutes a game. I mean, he that's not that hard, and he doesn't even need to do that much when he's out there. He just needs to hold it down. And I think that's how it goes across the board for the starting five. And I think that when you look at it that way, and you know, the the, the big question of if there's no injuries or if everyone stays healthy. I mean. You know, you can't really ever assume that, but you always have to assume it a little bit because right now they're all healthy. So I think it's just um, that that's a big concern. That's a big question. That's a big issue. But for my money, it's just not that big of a deal in the big picture and in the long term because I think those five guys can take you a lot of places, and I think they're they're able and willing to play big minutes and, and, you know, you don't want them worn down, but you don't want them rusty either. So I think you ride those guys and you feel good about it and, and they're gamers and they step up and they give you everything they can. Well, I do agree that the bench stuff uh, can be a bit overrated uh, enough. So that uh, I was actually going back and, and looking at some of the, the bench numbers of past national champions of, you know, past final four teams. And it's actually funny, like teams who, you know, win the national title, they actually have less bench minutes. So I, I don't know, maybe it's bad to have a bench, you know, once you get to the tournament. Right. Maybe maybe you just need, uh, I guess, I don't know, continuity between the guys. Like, these are the bench rankings of the last uh, five national champions per Ken Palm. 229, 301, 234, 317, and 302. 15 of the last 16 national champions were not even in the top 140 in bench minutes. So I, I do agree with you there, but... My one caveat is I feel like you need at least one guy who can come in off the bench and at least score a bit for you. And it doesn't mean they have to be averaging 15 a game or something off the bench. But, like, I go back to the, the KU team that won the title two years ago. You know, if if one of your starters was off scoring the ball, you could bring in Remy Martin and he could score the basketball, right? Like, I, right, I, right. I don't think you need a lot of them, but you need one guy. And so I, I think that this year comes down to you need one of two. Nick Timberlake, El Marco Jackson. It might only be 10, 15 minutes a game, but I think realistically you need, you know, that combination maybe of the two players getting you 10 points per game off the bench or something like that. Uh, I don't know if that's realistic or not. Maybe that doesn't matter that much, but 
I guess if you're going to get zeros from from Timberlake and, and Jackson moving forward, which I think they had two against Cincinnati combined on the late free throws at the end of the game, does that does that impact anything for you at all? Like, is it imperative that they get one of those guys going? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, you know, I, in, in in the context you put it in, that's 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 good. Um, Remy was a great example there. Uh, what what which which of those rankings was the 22 team? Um, on, on the bench minutes, which one? That was a uh, three hundred one. Jeez, see, so that's that's pretty telling, right? Yeah. And 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 the thing about that team, as much as as much as you didn't necessarily feel like super strong about that bench, they did have Remy, they did have right. Jalen Coleman, Lands, they did have Mitch Lightfoot. Like those guys would be stars on this bench. Short bench, um, but a dependable bench. Yeah, right, and experienced and all of that. So, um, and and you know, I, I was it's funny. I was looking at that uh, national title game box score the other day for some reason. Don't even know why. Um, and Jalen Coleman Lance played like two minutes in that game, and you know, it's probably the last two minutes of the first half or something to mm-hmm. keep people out of foul trouble. But like, what a cool thing for him. And and I don't know how how well you got to know him or or not, but like, phenomenal dude, great great dude. Um, going places in life, uh, mature, wonderful, you know, community driven guy. Like he, he, he was awesome. And how cool for him. Like he didn't, he didn't do anything statistically. He didn't win in that game. He didn't do anything, but he's in that game. He played in the national title game and they won like that. I just thought that was pretty cool. So anyway, getting, getting back to your, your point. Um, I, I do think, I guess I would put it this way. Like, can this team go very far without Timberlake or El Marco stepping up and doing something? I think they can. If either one of those guys finds it and is able to step into a more reliable, more consistent, more productive role, then that just increases the chances that they have a big run coming. Um, that, that's how I would look at it. But I don't know that I would look at it as, as a need as much because to be honest with you, like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think this this first 19 games has shown us if you're looking for consistency from either of those guys, you may be wasting your time. Like, I don't think it's coming, right? If they haven't done it in 20 games, what makes you think they're going to do it in the next 15? I just, I don't, I don't know that that's the right way to look at it. So it's not, to me, it's not that one of them needs to emerge or find it or, or hit that stride or whatever it is. To me, it's like, can both of them occasionally give you something on the off chance that you need it? And we saw that last weekend at West Virginia in that first half. I mean, Timberlake was huge. They lost the game, but you know, it certainly wasn't on him. And, and the production that he gave them in that first half was ridiculously important and, and significant and big stuff. So you take that and you feel good about, okay, well, he's shown he can do that. Maybe he can do that occasionally if ever we need it. And then you look at last night, and he barely plays, and he's not a factor at all, good, bad, otherwise. Well, okay, didn't need him. You know, he won the game anyway. So I, I think it's instead of trying to pinpoint one of those two guys as, like, this guy has to find it, he has to step up, he has to emerge, I think you just have to hope, like hell, that between the two of them, you know, let's let's say it's every three games that they're needed in some capacity. Between the two of them, can they rotate 
enough. Like, hey, this three games at El Marco when we needed mm-hmm. it for one spot minute here, there, there, whatever. Okay, now he doesn't need to do squat for the next two games. He's fine. Like, if he does, he does. If he doesn't, we're fine because now it's Timberlake's turn. Or maybe El Marco goes two in a row in that rotation, and then Timberlake's do, or it's his turn, and then he gives you one of those. I mean, it's just, you know, that's that's pretty unscientific, and I know there's not a, a whole lot of, like, you can count on any of that, but I just think that that's the way they're going to ride this team, the way they're coaching this team, and, and the, the the makeup of this roster. I just think that makes everything easier, and and frankly, I think it makes it easier on those two guys too. Like, I'm sure Timberlake and El Marco would love to know they're going to play 20 minutes a game the rest of the way. You know, you you get settled into your role and you feel good about it, and okay, here's my focus, blah blah blah. But I I don't see that coming. I don't see them anybody promising them that. So I think they just have to take that approach that look at any given moment we could be needed and you know self talked about it the other day when I asked him about Timberlake he believes that he'll stay ready and that West Virginia game showed that um and I talked to Timberlake myself after the Oklahoma State game um and you know posted this story uh yesterday I guess yesterday morning just sort of about like how are you hanging in there through all your funk and your slump and you know, this is, this hasn't gone the way you wanted it to. And um, he was pretty cool, like very open with it. And, uh, you know, basically just said he pretty much flushes every day. And the next day is a new day. And he, he tries to take that approach. Uh, a lot of positive thinking, a lot of, you know, mental reps, believing in himself, that kind of stuff, just so that, you know, if, if you haven't done anything for six days, the weight of six days is pretty heavy. But if, you just flush every one of those days, then the wait's only one day because you're only focusing on what's now and as opposed to what's been building. And so great attitude, cool story. He he, he was real candid with his emotions and his feelings, and, and that's on the site right now. If everybody wants to check that out, it's there. Um, great kid. I mean, you know, he's trying. Um, he's just – it hasn't quite clicked. And, and uh, you know, there's still, what, 16-3 and three, even with that? So – it's not like he's killing them. Um, it's just a bigger question of like how much can he help them. And I don't know if we know the answer to that, but I think what you're expecting or what you should be hoping for is pretty minimal. Okay, your takes on Iowa State for the next game. Tough place to play in Ames against what seems to be a really good Iowa State team this year. Um, I, I know we've seen Bill Self and KU be able to work out of tough situations deeper into Big 12 play in terms of being down a game or two and then coming through and winning the league. So this would still only be your seventh Big 12 game. And even if you lost it, you still have plenty to go. And in this version of the league, there's probably going to be more losses for the winner. But if you do lose the game, you're 4-3 and three in Big 12 play. And once the calendar turns to February, that schedule is pretty gnarly. On a scale of 1-10, to 10, if you're talking about Kansas winning the Big 12 – where does this rank with 10 being like an absolute must win for KU on Saturday? Yeah, it's up there, man. It's if not nine, it's 8.8 or something like that. I don't know that it's a 10, but it's, it's way up there. Um, just because of the games that are still ahead. First of all, you got to win on the road somewhere, right? And they've lost now at UCF and they've lost at West Virginia. And those are two games that they could have had, should have had, however you want to look at it. Those are also two games that, that other teams that are in the conference that are playing probably will get. And, you know, who knows? I mean, West Virginia obviously played very well that day. So did UCF. So 
those two could beat anybody. Um, but there are going to be some teams that go into those places and win. And, and so that, that hurts you a little bit right there. Um, you did win at Oklahoma State. But after, after that, man, I mean, what have you got left? It's, it's like Houston on the road, Baylor on the road, K-State on the road, Oklahoma on the road. Um, I'm sure I'm obviously Iowa State we're talking about. So, you know, that, that's, that, that's pretty tough. And, and, uh, including Iowa State, it's very tough. So at some point, you got to get one of them. You got to get a couple of them. Uh, that's, that's been KU's recipe for winning the, the, the Big 12 all these years, all those times they've won it. Obviously, hold serve at home. Everybody talks about that. And then, and then go be better than everybody on the road. And, and right now, that's, you know, if, if they, Drop this weekend's game at Iowa State. What well, that would make them one and three on the road in conference? Is that right? Yeah. So you know that's that's you're not on your way then. At that point, you you need to go out and win three or four of your next four or five just to give yourself a chance. And uh, and and that's saying nobody's going to beat you at your house, which you know obviously could happen. TCU had a shot at beating them last night. Was a close call. I mean, there's there's teams coming in here that are going to give them their their uh their share of, of tough nights too so um i, I think yeah 8.8 would probably be my number um i think it's i think it's way up there and it will be hard it's always hard whether iowa state has a top 10 team or uh a team that nobody's talking about that place is hard to play and, and they get them to play hard up there and and um you know it's 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 also kansas so they get everybody's best shot so that was part of the equation in the West Virginia loss. That was part of the equation in the UCF loss. I mean, um, what, wasn't that UCF loss like the second sellout in UCF basketball history? Like, I, I mean, yeah, they were the broadcast. They were billing it as the biggest game in program history. See, so yeah, I mean that that factors in, right? And like, nobody feels sorry for Kansas. Nobody's saying, "Oh, that's unfortunate. Oh, that's unlucky." No, that's that's what it is. That's that's that's. What comes with being the best? You have to deal with that. And and over the years, Self has coached his players and, and recruited guys that not only can handle that, but also like that and thrive in those types of environments and challenges. So, you know, no, nobody feels sorry for them, but it is a huge part of, of you know, the breakdown when you start talking about this race. And this race is going to be crazy. I mean, um, entering yesterday, it was, 13 of the 14 teams were were all within what two games of the top and and again we're we're way way too early to, like you said to talk about you know the race there's still so much basketball ahead but even by now i mean we're a third of the way through the schedule you'd think by now there'd be maybe three or four teams at least that have fallen behind the pace like Oklahoma State has and you know you can look at them and say hey they're not going to win it but while you may be able to do that based on your preference or who you like or, or makeup of each team, um, in the standings, it doesn't show that. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, they've got, they've got a heck of a, you know, six weeks ahead of them because the pressure on all of these games is going to be enormous. And what's really cool is that these guys, like so many of these guys have been through that, right? Like Dewan knows what that feels like. KJ knows what that feels like. Um, McCullough, to some degree, got a taste of that last year. Um, but there's there's enough guys on that roster that, that can kind of grab some hands and pull them through what that what that experience is like. But more than that, if you if you sat Kevin McCullough down right now and said, well, "What's your biggest goal for the rest of the season?" His his answer would be to win a national title. 
If you asked Hunter Dickinson the same thing, that would be his answer too. And so these guys have enough of a of a big picture approach to this thing too that yeah, they want to win the Big Twelve and yeah, they want to finish as as the, the, the kings of the conference because that often leads to a one seed and a one seed you've got a better pass and all those things, right? But like let's say they're a three seed in the NCAA tournament. They're still gonna show up and play and compete and expect to win and believe they can win a title because that is their goal. So to me, the, the conference is great, and the grind of it all is going to be intense, and it's going to be a lot of fun games. But I really think this year and this team, maybe, maybe more than any team we've seen in a long time, is in position to look at all of those games that are ahead and say, win or lose, let's just play well, let's just get better, let's just let's just give it all we got, and let's make sure that whatever happens. We take a, a positive lesson from it. We take a good step forward, and we say, hey, that made us better. And now we're more prepared to go make a run when it really counts than we were before this game. Again, win or lose. So I, I know fans don't like hearing that. You know, every loss is the sky is falling kind of thing, and, and nobody likes to watch their team lose. And, and, and I understand that. And these guys don't want to lose either. But I think the maturity and the, the – uh, the, the goals that this this particular group has, uh, they really line up well to, to to kind of find their way through this conference race. Whatever happens, with, with their their confidence intact and the fact that they believe, you know, hey, we can go beat anybody because this is our goal. So it'll be fun to watch, um, and 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 for their sake, hopefully that keeps a little bit of that, you know, intensity and pressure and. Stress, I guess, stress is the best word. Keep, keep some of that off their shoulders because that's going to eat you alive in this race. I mean, you know, you look at Texas Tech and K-State right now, they're at the top at 4-1. and one. I don't have either one of those teams winning the conference, but right now they're the leaders, and they've got some games coming where they're going to feel that pressure, and uh, that's going to be weird for both teams. So it'll be uh, it'll be wild. I, I don't. I, I'm sure you guys have talked about it. What, what, what do you? What is your record? What do you think wins it, man? We've kind of gone back and forth. Uh, I I'm, at this point, I'm kind of thinking 12 and six. I mean, technically that would have yeah. won it last year because Texas was second at 12 and six. But I I don't know. You could convince me Houston or something or Kansas gets to 13 and five. I think that's fair. I mean, I've I've been saying for the last week or so that. 13 will will absolutely win it, right? And then 12 and 6 is like a you're probably going to put yourself in a good position and have a good shot and oh by the way, there might be three or four teams sitting at 12 and 6 and then it's then it's just a heck of a lot of fun. You get to go to the tiebreaker for seating purposes. You get to hand out four trophies. There's all kinds of fun stuff happening. So Brett Yormark would be busy. He'd have to carry that trophy around four different locations. I mean, it feels like that kind of year's coming. Uh, that'd be really fun because then you could have a four seed who you were like, yeah, they're Big 12 champions in the Big 12 tournament. So that'd right, be, uh, a lot right, of fun. exactly. Well, you can check out all of Matt's work at r1s1sports.com. Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. That sounds great, man, and I know I've texted with you, but congratulations, uh, big stuff. I'm super excited for you. I'm glad everything's going well, and I don't know the sex or the name, so I need to know that before I get off here. Jacqueline Johnson, and uh, obviously it is a girl. So yes, very very excited. cool. Mm-hmm. Do you know about Jacqueline Johnson, the former KU basketball player? No, this is actually news to me. I have had a lot of family telling me this is Baby J. So there, there you go. Okay, well, yeah, we don't have time, but but look it up. Right. Look it up. She was 
she was very good, and I think I have the name right. So I hope I don't have it wrong. But um, but I'm pretty sure that was a that was a a big time player in in KU women's hoops lore. So um, oh wow, I'm, that's I'm, the same <laughs> spelling, and she grew up in Southern California. How about that? See, see? Wow. there you go. What a weird twist. Well, I look forward to meeting your daughter and talking about all the great Jacqueline Johnson memories. So, uh, congrats, man. Really happy for you. That's awesome. All right. He's Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Four o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports later in the hour. Coming up at the 5 o'clock hour, more KU basketball talk. Get to some Bill Self audio, too. So, uh, we quickly mentioned this with Matt, but that was pretty cool last night. Joel Embiid going for 70 points. Yeah. Craziness. Craziness. Yeah. They uh, they asked uh, they had Bill Self. Center on yeah, they asked the game. Bill Self. Yeah. Yeah. SVP was talking to Bill Self. And he, <laughs> the funniest part was, he goes, did you see what Joel Embiid did tonight? And Bill was like, what? He had like 26 in the first half yeah. or something. What do you do? Oh, he had 70. <laughs> and then he was like, he said, yeah, he learned everything in yeah. basketball in his eight months here in Kansas. It was kind of a funny little quip there. Yeah. So uh, really cool stuff. And and this stat came out afterwards that there have been, what, 14? Yep. 70 point 70 fours. plus point games. Yep. Which I guess points. yesterday was the anniversary of uh, Kobe's 80, was it 81 or 82 point game? Yeah. I think it was 81. Yeah. Um, and of that list of 14 70 or more point games... Seven, half of them from Kansas players. Yeah, now six of them but, are from Wilt. I was about to say that's a bit of a misleading stat because six of them came from one individual. Yeah. It Wilt always, Chamberlain. It always cracks me up. You'll have all these all-time NBA stats like uh, first player to have thirty rebounds in a game since Wilt Chamberlain, who did it eighteen times <laughs> in one season. It's just like he he just blows away some of the records. Uh, I would highly recommend if you've never seen it. Um, there's a a video you can find on YouTube. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's called. It is called uh, Wilt Chamberlain Scouting Video. It sounds like it would be super in-depth on scouting. It's not. It's more of like a, an hour-long documentary slash talking up Wilt Chamberlain. It has old interviews and articles and, and all this sort of stuff. It's about an hour long on YouTube. Highly recommend checking it out because you will walk away from that being like, yes, this dude is the greatest player of all time, and I don't know why the conversation is not like that. But anyway, yeah, that's another cool stat. and Really cool for Joel Embiid, who... Might be on his way to winning his second straight MVP. Yeah. Could Should be. be very cool. Could be. Only thing he's missing, NBA title. That's right. All right. Uh, NFL divisional round recap wrapping up over the weekend here. We're going to get into that. Let's start here. What is your biggest surprise from the weekend? Yeah. I mean, so the Ravens Sexton's game actually ended up unfolding kind of how I thought it would. Uh, the Lions Bucks game unfolded how I thought maybe it might, although. I thought the Lions maybe win by more. Uh, and then the Chiefs came and unfolded how I thought it would with the Chiefs winning because the Bills suck. Uh, but my biggest surprise is the Green Bay Packers in the in the game against the 49ers. Uh, I know when we did our game picks on Friday, or when I did the game picks on Friday, when you submitted them as well, uh, I think we both, we both picked Green Bay. And I think the general consensus was that Green Bay would be able to hang around and cover because it was like a 10-point spread. But I wasn't necessarily maybe expecting to walk away from that game thinking, man, Green Bay played better. Like they were the better team. Yeah. Like Green Bay was better. They just they just didn't necessarily have the same level of talent and they cut a couple of bad breaks. Jordan Love throws the interception inter- the interception late, but like they 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 were the better team. They played better and it felt like Green Bay maybe should have won that game. Uh so that was maybe my biggest surprise in that I 
I expected Green Bay to be a little more competitive than maybe what it seemed like was expected beyond outside, but I didn't think that they would be. I didn't think that I would be, like I said, kind of changing the channel after the game and sitting up in my chair and saying, "Wow." Green Bay was the better team. Yeah, the 49ers were fortunate to win. And I guess, honestly, that's my biggest surprise. Given what happened in the game, that Green Bay lost the game uh, was a surprise to me. Given how well they played, it was surprising they came out on bottom. They had five red zone appearances, did Green Bay. Yeah. San Francisco had one. Well, they when lost. You get, when you get stuffed on fourth down and one on one of them, uh-huh. you know. Like miss a field I know, goal. I know. There's been uh, some kind of back and forth about the analytics of different things, like going for it for two, going for two when you're down. Uh, like if you're down 14 and you score, go for two in that situation. I know analytics say that, yeah. And I know there's been some kind of pushback on both sides, but it can be tough, right? Because in that situation, on a fourth and one, which Packers had in the first half, you say, "Let's go for it. No questions asked. Easily go for it." But if you kick it there, you're going to overtime at the very worst if that's in that situation, right? Or if they make the field goal later in the game. So it, it it's tough. It's it's not obviously this this stuff is never black and white, especially when you look at it in hindsight, but it can be maybe extra painful, I guess, if you are the Packers in situations like that. It absolutely can. I think uh, the Packers have like never beaten the 49ers in the playoffs. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, besides that, the other biggest surprise for me was this is more of an individual one with the Chiefs, just how good Chamari Connor is. Yep. He was their fourth round pick. He had been rotating in, getting some time as the back half of the season went on, especially after Brian Cook had the injury that gave him more time. And yep. he had been playing solid. So like it wasn't a surprise that, you know, he filled in and did good. He and was then Mike the, uh, Edwards goes down and now all of a sudden you're down Cook and yeah. Edwards. He was the highest rated like defensive player on Pro Football Focus this past week. And to get the production you have had from a fourth-round rookie right away, I mean, the the Chiefs just continue to hit on these late-round defensive backs. It's pretty incredible, and I think he's going to be like your next really good DB that you're looking at in a couple years, the same way that Charvarius Ward eventually graduated through his and and got his big contract. The 49ers now is doing well. The same way Legereus Sneed has turned into this this stud corner. Jamari Connor being a dude this early is uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, man. The I mean, Brett Veach. I know he gets he's gotten maybe under fire this season for the construction of wide receiver room and everything, but I mean that dude just continues to hit on draft picks like throughout the entire draft. You know, it's not like he's just hitting the first round picks. He is hitting throughout the whole draft on a lot of really really good picks uh, over the last couple of years that have really really helped. I mean, you look at the defense specifically. You mentioned Shamari Connor. I got like Leo Chanel who's turned into a really quality player. Mm-hmm. George Karloftis, obviously. Uh, the, you know, you look in the secondary, Trent McDuffie goes without saying. Legereus Sneed. I mean, all around, it seems like he just continues to hit. The only big misses he's had, unfortunately, has been Sky Moore at the wide receiver position. That's been the biggest one, I think, by far. Nicole Hardman. Yeah, I guess. Trading what they did for Kadarius. Just the receiver position in general. Well, again, I know that well, I was Rashi kind of the Rice. guy leading the, the train of maybe the Kadarius-Tony trade was bad, but... I still don't know that you can even claim that if they won the Super Bowl off of it. I guess that's true. I don't know. But I would tend to agree. All right, biggest disappointment. Uh, Biggest disappointment, I think, was probably just the Houston Texans fight as a team. Like, I thought they would – it seemed like they kind of just threw in the towel. Three offensive points. Yeah, it seemed like they just threw in the towel. looking unstoppable against the Browns, which the Browns had the number one defense in the NFL. Yeah, and I kind of – talked about this uh, last week before the game in the sense of 
it's one of the, it was one of those classic situations for the Texans where maybe they were too naive to feel the pressure. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> they were definitely feeling something. Maybe they were feeling the, the Ravens defense hitting them all the time, but yeah, they 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 seem they just kind of rolled over. Uh, now I think you I think you and I both agree that the Texans going forward are going to be a legit threat. Yes. But uh, this just th- to me the Texans this season, if you wanted to draw a comparison to last season, would be like the Jaguars. The Jaguars last season, same situation where. I do trust like, them more oh, than that, though, because I think Stroud is just better than Trevor Lawrence. No, I agree. I agree with that 100%. But from the standpoint of this team should be good going forward, it's just yeah. they were a year too or a year ahead of schedule, quote-unquote, or a year too early. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I, I would say Brock Purdy, he was really bad. Even Brock. on some plays that were made, like they were just good catches. Brock Turdy. Yeah. Brock Turdy in this game, yeah, for yeah. sure. He missed a lot of passes. Um, it was just not, I mean, he was great on the last drive. I'll give him credit for that and came up in the clutch for them when he needed to. So, you know, he gets props for that, but the know. full game was not good. Rock 30 kind of sucks. Uh, the Bills, I mean, just in general, this was their best chance, right? Well, I don't know. The one two years ago, yeah. that one too. But, like, here's why the Bills are disappointed. It's not that they lost the game. Like, it was a coin flip game. You're playing the Chiefs. That's not disappointing. What's disappointing for them is now they are exiting the window of Josh Allen being on a contract under $20 million. He's going to be making over $40 million. They're $49 million over the cap next year. They're probably going to lose both Jordan Poyer and uh, uh, the other good safety that I'm blanking on right now. Uh, Mike Hyde. Uh, Mike Hyde, yeah. They're both free agents this year because they're so far over the cap. Um, You look at the down rest of the conference relatively like the Ravens are still really good but this is well again listen we, when we talked about this yesterday with Josh Allen never winning the Super Bowl mm-hmm. part of that discussion was well you're gonna have to go through you know Mahomes Lamar Jackson Joe, Joe Burrow you know whatever well guess what Joe Burrow was out you didn't have to go through right. him like that's one less guy you had to worry Stroud about is still loading Justin Herbert Justin wasn't Herbert in, in is there, right? terrible this Trevor was Lawrence the, the weakest sucked. Chiefs offense that we've the seen Chiefs, in the Mahomes era yeah the Chiefs this was your your best chance and you got the Chiefs at home you know? Yeah, I mean, technically, technically, I guess this was, this was the worst teams, chief, worst Chiefs teams, I guess. But, but yeah, no, man. I mean, listen, hundred percent agree. The Bills are never going to win a Super Bowl. Josh Allen's never going to win a Super Bowl. I, I feel a little bad for the fan base, but not that bad uh, because they're annoying and they throw snowballs. But, uh, yeah, that sucks, Bills. Better luck, never. So. I have one other that I want to bring up, and I don't even know if this is really a disappointment. This is going back to last week. Uh, I mentioned it with the Texans. They only put up three offensive points against the Ravens. I now have more disappointment in the Browns' defense, and I was thinking about this. I have a tinfoil conspiracy. Oh, boy. There is some sort of cheating scandal going on with the Browns. What? What Did you know that the Cleveland Browns had the number one points allowed per game defense in the NFL in home games? Okay. Yeah, no, they were terrible on the and road. And they had the last yeah, number were, 32 points allowed per game on the road. How yeah. does that happen? How so are what, you that you think, different? You think they hired Connor Stallions? Well, okay, they did so, some sign stealing? No, no, here, here I'll, I'll tell you uh, my, my idea on how it happens in a second. Your first reaction to that might be, so they, okay. They put mics in the opposing coach's booth? Well, hold on. So they your can your first reaction they, to that might be, well, did, did they just happen to play a much tougher home schedule than road schedule? Or much okay. tougher road schedule, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Where like, okay, maybe they played all the best offenses on the road and they played all the bad ones at home and maybe that's why it would have happened. Well, okay, here's here's the teams they played at uh, on the road first. Pittsburgh, not a good offense, okay? In 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 the division though, so they played them at home too. I know, I know. Hold on. On okay, the road, okay, Pittsburgh. Okay, okay. At Indianapolis, fine. Fine offense. At Seattle, fine. At Baltimore, good. At Denver, 
bad. Well, depending on when they played them, they were bad, but they got better. Sure. At the Rams. Again, they were injuries. Could have been. The Texans, but I don't believe C.J. Stroud played. I think he was injured in that one. Okay. And then at the Bengals with Jake Browning. Okay. Now the sure. home games they played. Bengals with Joe Burrow. This is not where I expected this segment to go. By I'm sorry. Bengals with Joe Burrow. <laughs> Titans. San Francisco 49ers. Cardinals. Steelers. Um, Jaguars. So they got some bad Bears, at home. Jets. And Ravens. But you're talking they, about Ravens, Bears, 49ers. Jets. Bears, Jets, Cardinals. I get, I know, but, but the point is, like, it's not like an imbalanced schedule thing. Okay, they play the 49ers and Ravens and and some of these teams at home. How does that happen? How does that happen? That feels wrong. Like, they're, they're, how? I don't understand. My theory is that they don't are like advantage. hacking into the microphones that they they that's were able to hear well, what I mean, the other teams play calls. You, were. What, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You just you just bug, you just bug the other team's booth. Anyway, I I just wanted to get that out. <laughs> I've been holding that in when I wasn't on the show last week. Wow. Uh, traditional round MVP on offense and defense. Uh, let's start with offense. Offense, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that dude was nails. Or sneaky MVS. <laughs> sneaky MVS. MVS uh, yeah. gets most improved player from regular season to postseason. Sure. Yeah, no, I'm fine with that. Yeah, Mahomes is great. Uh, I mean, I think you and I have differing opinions on the how Lamar played against the Texans. Uh, let's see. I'm not giving it to Brock Turdy, not McCaffrey. Uh, for the line, I mean, Goff had a pretty good game for the Lions. Uh, but yeah, Mahomes, MVP of the weekend, easily. I would agree with Mahomes just to give a different name, though. I'll go Jared Goff. He had a really clean game, had a yeah. good game, came up with 31 points. One of the things that Goff has struggled with in the past is against the Blitz when he's under pressure. Todd Bowles throws blitzes all the time, and uh, he was able to kind of dice him up and in a real way. That helped them win the game. He was he was excellent. Defensive side of the ball, I, there's a couple of interesting ones you could go with. You could go Shamari Connor, honestly. Shamari Connor, Timmy Terry Connor, Timmy Terry Connor. I think Aiden Hutchinson had a really good game for Detroit. He's been good. Yeah. He had a sack. He had he had a bunch of pressure. I think he had like three QB hits against Baker Mayfield. Dre Greenlaw had the game winning game ceiling interception for the 49ers, even though he didn't want to go down. Yeah, no, that was insane. He also had a bunch like, of tackles. He could have just fumbled and. Yeah, and they would have the game would have still. I think been he had on. two pass deflections too. Like he was really good. I I think those guys deserve some consideration here. Yeah. What is your? I think they're good. MVS, I think MVS is good in the playoffs. In the playoffs. In the playoffs. Would you not cut him now? Oh. Um. I'd probably still cut him after the season. What if he does the same thing he did in the Bills game in this next game? And then they win, well, and then no, he does he'd the same to, thing in the Super Bowl. No, he well, he what would what he'd have to do is he'd have to do what he did in the against the Bengals in the AFC title game last year. Okay, and he'd have to do that twice. In and the that would be enough for you to be like, you got to hold on. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I feel like the ship has sailed regardless. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just know. too much unless, money. Unless unless people really like him in the locker room, but that doesn't seem like. They would, I don't think, based off some of his comments. It's one thing to be like, hey, this guy is like a fine veteran. He's well-liked in the locker room when you're banking like $2 million. It's another thing. Maybe they when, just, maybe the Chiefs just ask him to restructure and take a pay cut. Yeah, that could happen. That could, yeah. That, that Say, could hey, listen, for sure. listen, bud. You want to win more Super Bowls? Instead of making 11, we'll give you six. Yeah, you're going to you have know? to make a lot less. So Yeah, I, I think they're good. Uh, I still think the Texans are good. I still think they're a good team. I just think you ran into a buzzsaw. Uh, I also Lamar Jackson in the playoffs. I See, think he's good now. I don't agree with that. Mm. I don't agree with that. 
And I don't even think, okay, like I know you look, if you're just box score watching, it looks like Lamar had a great game against the Texans. I thought he looked tense early and a little bit unsettled. I think the Texans had a good game plan early. Uh, the, the Ravens were throwing a bunch of deep passes so I'm, in the early game. I am far from convinced that Lamar is good in the playoffs. Okay. That's just, that's just me. That's just me. Yeah, I'm there. I'm, I'm there that I think he uh, figured it out. Uh, okay. I think they suck. Uh, I think they suck. Brock Turdy without Debo Samuel. Mm. I think he definitely they sucks. might not have this weekend. Uh, I think Josh Allen sucks. No, I don't think Josh Allen sucks. Uh, I do think Stephon Diggs sucks, though. Hmm. Stephon Diggs sucks. Should have caught that deep ball. Yeah. No, he sucks. He sucks. Yeah, the Bills uh, had a Brock little Chiefs in him on, on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot to add on. I think they're good. Khalil Shakir. What the hell was that? Yeah. I mean, what was that? He's a young player. He could but just he was, be breaking out. He's insane. He's really good. Enough so that they're going because Gabe Davis is a free agent and Stephon Diggs it certainly feels like he's getting. I don't know if it's just being older or what it is, but he's I, definitely I, dropped off I over think the back he sucks. of the season. I think he sucks. You could you could convince me Khalil Khalil Shakir is going to be like their number one receiver next year. I think it's very possible. Anyway, yeah. uh, I think they. Suck. I'm going to say Todd Bowles is the head coach. I think Todd Bowles is a really good defense coordinator. Yeah, he just Tampa there Bay were some interesting decisions made. Yeah, man, and like, I don't know, I just, I just don't think he's that great of a head coach overall, and, and the main decision but, I mean, was the one at the end. Dude, you right? gotta give credit to the Bucks though, I mean, they, I don't even think they were trying to win this season, and they just but fell into the I AFC disagree South with that, okay, here's the thing, there's two ways of looking at it, there's the one way of looking at it where it's like, oh, the Bucks were this team that wasn't that good and they won a playoff game, so that's like surprising, and, and that's good, there's no way of looking at it where it's like, hey, they were 10-9, and nine, where they got to play in one of the in, in the worst division in the NFL. So if you're playing in a better division, you have a worse record. And say what you want about the Bucks. I, I think your your comment about them not trying to win goes to the quarterback position because they basically gave a, a cheap one year contract to Baker Mayfield. Every other position on that team is set up to win now. They have, yeah. they have a good receiving well, but core. I, but they've the got an older was, offensive line. They were they were hamstrung by a bajillion dollars in dead cap money. I think, sure, because of Tom Brady. But okay, did you see the end of the game with the Lions? What happened? Yes. So there was, there was for some reason, Jared Goff snaps the ball. He could have run another, like, 15 seconds off the clock. Snaps it, kneels it down with, I think it was 36 seconds to go. And it would have been, like, a fourth down and 12. And it would have been, it was an eight-point game, so still one possession game. The Bucks had one timeout left. They could have called a timeout mm. with 36 seconds and forced the Lions to kick a 47-yard field goal. Now... You would say that, yeah, a 47-yard field goal, you probably got a, I don't know, 70% chance. Could block it, though. In this day and age. But, yeah, that's the thing. That still gives you a 1-3 in three chance of him missing it, or you could block it and, you know, run it back. And we saw the Steelers block a kick from the Bills earlier in the postseason. And then you have a chance with 30 seconds to, even if they just miss it, you have pretty good field position to at least get a Hail Mary try. It's the playoff. Why, why, did, why did he not call the timeout? I don't know. I don't know. There's, like, this weird... There's like this weird thing with some individuals where it's like a, it's almost like a respect thing where they're like, well, you know, it's over. I guess, you know I mean? but in that case, it's the playoffs and it's not know. over. It's not yeah, over. I, I Guys miss 47-yard field goals all the time. No, I, I, I'm not really sure. Okay, uh, rank the four divisional round losers, so the teams that lost um, by most likely to win the Super Bowl next season. Well, thank you. first of all, thank you for pointing out to me that I misread this question earlier mm-hmm. when, we were, when we were discussing it. Uh, Packers, Texans, Bills, Bucks. I would agree. I'd go Packers one. I, I think the Texans 
will actually be the best one next year, but because the Texans will be in the same conference as the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Bills, the Bengals, uh, and I think it's a little more open the NFC. I'm a believer in Jordan Love. Yeah, I'm a I'll go Packers Jordan. one. Packers one. Texans two. Yes, I'll go Texans two. I feel Bills like that's a three. disservice to the Bills, but I'm no. really high on C.J. Stroud. More, all, give me all the disservice to the Bills. The Texans have an easier path in the division. I thought about putting the Bucks ahead of the Bills. Okay. I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I, the Texans have an easier path to the division, although the Colts should be pretty good. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with the Jags for sure. But like with the with the Bills, if if Aaron Rodgers comes back, we, we know they have a good defense. Uh, Dolphins are at least. I, I don't. I, I don't want to watch Aaron Rodgers play football. Okay. I don't want to watch him do anything. But with the Texans, how about this? They've seventy million dollars in cap space this offseason. Yeah, that's pretty they're, good with the young team. So yeah, I would go Texans two, Bills three. I, I am in full agreement with you there. Rank the four teams left in the playoffs: Chiefs, Ravens, Niners, Lions. I right, go Ravens one. Niners 2, Chiefs 3, Lions 4. Yeah, that's what I reckon. All right, that's our NFL divisional round recap. Bobby Stroop, bowling to board material there from from Derek. Yeah, there we go. We're going to be joined by uh, Kevin Flaherty in 15 minutes. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer, and we're joined now by Kevin Flaherty. 24-7 sports. Talk some KU and Big 12 basketball with Kevin and the Big 12 is off to a pretty, I guess, indicative start of how loaded and how much parity there, there could be throughout the year in the conference. Before the season started, I, at least conference season started, I, I think I asked you the question what number you thought would, would win the conference. I, I forget if you said 14 or 13, but now with the way that the Big 12 season has started, what would be your number that you think wins the league, either outright or, or at least gets a share here, Kevin? I, I'd probably shift it down a game and say twelve or thirteen. It it's so tough to win in the on the road right now in, in this conference, and it seems like even teams that have put themselves in position to win road games have really struggled to to get it done. And it's interesting because. I think a lot of people are, are kind of comparing the Big 12 to, oh, it's like the SEC in football, but I don't actually think that's a great comparison, given that I think the SEC is often really top-heavy. You know, you have two or three teams that are among the best teams in the country, but you don't necessarily always have as much depth. Where well, Where's the Vanderbilt? In, yeah, I was going to say, in the Big 12 right now, I mean, you – you look at it, the, the worst team is probably West Virginia, which beat Kansas. Uh, if it's not, then it's probably Oklahoma State, which, you know, was, was kind of unlucky to lose to Baylor and, you know, had a chance to beat Kansas State in Manhattan. And so when you're talking about those teams bringing up, you know, kind of the bottom of your league, you know, you, you really have a, uh, have a conference that's, that's tough where you, I know that, coaches say this to their players all the time and say, hey, look, if we don't show up, we can get beat. The Big 12 basketball season isn't a legit example where they can point around to about five different examples and say, see, this is this is why I told you that we have to bring it every night. Yeah, something I was thinking about with the Big 12, obviously if your team is good, the, the crowd in general is going to show up more and, and be more of interest. But, I mean, Allen Fieldhouse is known as the, the mecca of college basketball. Uh, when Texas Tech is good, that's a really rowdy, tough environment. 
Iowa State, Ames is always extremely difficult to play up there. Whenever, like, Kansas has to play in Manhattan, that becomes a very difficult environment. Like, uh, Texas' new arena, Baylor's new arena, where they're more smaller and actually get good environments. Like, there's so many great environments in the Big 12. And so it's it's not just about that the teams are so good. It's, it's what blows my mind is how many incredibly difficult environments there are. Is there another league that comes close to rivaling how many good environments and home court advantages there are in the Big 12 beyond just how good these teams are? I do think there are a lot of really good environments in the Big 10. And I think that, you know, when... You look at the best environments uh, across kind of college basketball. You don't necessarily have one that you would compete, you know, for number one or number two or whatever. But, you know, obviously uh, Assembly Hall is tremendous for Indiana. But you start getting into, like, what Purdue is like and what Michigan State is like. And some of of the arenas maybe down a a little bit, and you say, man, it's – it's really, really tough to win here. I think one of the things that's that's tough for Kansas, and you know, nobody is nobody is going to to grab a tissue and you know, or, or play a violin or anything like that. But when you're getting somebody's best shot every single game, as Kansas typically does, in a way, atmosphere is different a lot of times for Kansas than it is for somebody else that, you know, like Texas Tech and Kansas State being up, you know, near the top of the conference. Kansas State traveling to, say, West Virginia is not going to inspire the same level of vitriol, you know, quite frankly, as, as it is when Kansas makes that same trip. And it's kind of it's kind of funny you bringing up the the home court advantages and how many of them there are. Back in the press Virginia days, the biggest difference in home court advantage between home and road splits, you know, when you looked at it, was actually West Virginia. And that's not to say that Allen Fieldhouse is a bad home court advantage or anything like that. It was that, quite frankly, West Virginia was a different team at home where, you know, maybe the rest let some of the stuff get by a little more. Maybe things were able to be a little bit more physical. They weren't called for nearly as many fouls. You know, all of those different things. The biggest home and road split, you know, kind of back in those days was West Virginia, even with all of these really good leagues or all of these really good atmospheres. And I, I think, you know, some of the places that you brought up, you know, Kansas State, you know, Texas Tech, you know, those are teams that face, I, I think, a pretty pretty big difference between when they're at home and what they get on the road. So right now we, we have two losses for Kansas, two losses for Houston. Those are the preseason favorites to, to win the league, and the betting favorites after non-con play started. There's a couple 4-1 and one teams currently in first, K-State or Texas Tech. Who, who would you put in the top tier of contenders for the league? Would it, would it just be Houston? Would it just be Houston and Kansas? Would there, would there be anybody else? You know, I think right now it's, it's Houston and Kansas, but I do think that Texas Tech is kind of scratching right there. And I know that Texas Tech went to Houston and got absolutely handled, but I think, quite frankly, if you go to Houston and you don't play your A game, anybody is capable of getting handled like that. I mean, Houston is a really good team, and when Houston's hitting shots, which isn't you know all the time, but when they are hitting shots, there's not a ton that you can really do about it. But I do think that those two are, are probably out ahead. I think Texas Tech is kind of in that 
that same discussion. I think Kansas State has had some breaks with the schedule and everything so far. It'll be interesting to see. You know, they're a team that, that quite frankly, you know, they're really well coached and they execute well in close games. But they've also had some close games that could easily have gone a, a different direction. I, I think Baylor is a really weird team in that Baylor, I, I think, just doesn't quite fit together like you would want it to, right? Like you've got a you've got a team that Jacoby Walter is tremendous in transition. He's a miss. He can outrun just about any center in the league. But the point guard is Ray J. Dennis, who's a very deliberate guy, plays at a slower tempo. Last time I checked, Baylor's tempo was in the 200s. And so it's a team that just doesn't quite fit in terms of how, what's the best way for them to play, what's the best way for them to, to succeed at a high level. And I think that's kind of what's holding them back a little bit. I think that's uh, pretty interesting here. So uh, w- when you're looking at Johnny Furphy, the way that he's playing here since he's been a starter and, and the way that that's impacted Kansas, I know they did lose the game with West Virginia even as him uh, starting the game, but how does that kind of affect KU in, in terms of the, the Big 12 title race? Or does Furphy being in the starting lineup maybe have a bigger effect on, you think, Kansas in the postseason than it does maybe the Big 12 regular season? Yeah, I thought Bill Self's comments yesterday were really interesting. Where he and they, they aren't original in terms of he's made comments before about how depth is more important at this point in the season than it is in March. With the longer length of timeouts, with longer halftime, things like that, you can get away with with playing your starters more minutes. But right now, part of the problem with Johnny Furphy being in the starting lineup is the fact that it's like Kansas has a really fast race car that needs to pit more often than its opponents, right? Because Kansas gets out there, drives on the track, builds the lead, and then, oh, we got to pull in and pit, and you lose a lot of the advantage that you just gained because the other cars aren't out there having to pit as much. They aren't struggling as much when they put their bench guys in, whether that's Dan Skillings for Cincinnati whether that's some of the other teams, you know, that the Kansas has played against. And I think, you know, that's one of the biggest troubles and, and things that you really want to see develop through the Big 12 season is, no, it might not be quite as big a factor in March, but you do figure guys are going to get into some foul trouble. You do figure not everybody's going to play 40 minutes every game out of your starting lineup. And so – the finding Johnny Furphy and getting that fifth starter where you don't feel like, hey, we're we're going four on five, that's a really big deal. But Kansas needs to get a lot more out of its bench, not just if it's going to compete for the Big 12, but also just in case some of those things happen where you do have to go to your depth and turn to your depth. I think the bench minutes last night, I, I think I could be wrong on this. I think they got, what, something like 27 bench minutes yep. total. And had two points, I think two rebounds, something like that. If you had a starter play 27 minutes and give you two points and two rebounds, you would say that that guy was grossly ineffective. And so they don't need the bench to necessarily be good. What they do need is for the the bench to, to stop being bad and provide more impact there. And I thought it was, I thought it was interesting when Self was talking. He didn't say we need more scoring from our bench, 
but he did say that they needed more impact from their bench. And so I think that that's something to watch here, you know, as Kansas continues to play through February. I think this is a bit of a different question. I mean, obviously, it, it's the same question as the one I asked about who would you put in kind of that top tier of title contenders in terms of is this team good? But I think it's different, and, and you'll know why. What, or I guess how many teams, which teams would be involved in the tier of Big 12 teams that you think could make a Final Four run? Ooh, that is a little bit of a different question because I, I think, you know, as it stands right now, it's Houston. And I'm not saying that Kansas can't get there. I We've talked on this show. I feel like I say it every week, and I'm a broken record. Kansas needs to be defensive, defensively based. And when you look at the second half against Cincinnati, I thought for the most part that was about as well as they've defended, maybe since UConn, up until about, what, the 314-315 mark, and they let Cincinnati score in eight of, eight of its last nine possessions. And so the problem is, is being that team, you know, for a streak here and there, they need to be that team more often. And I'm not even saying that they need to be perfect for, for 40 minutes in a game, but they can't do it for, you know, 17 minutes. And and that's all you see of it. They need to be an elite defensive team more consistently. And I think that's the thing that if the NCAA tournament was today, I think that's the reason that I wouldn't pick Kansas as a Final Four team right now. Houston, I think, reminds me a lot of that North Carolina team that won the title in 17. You know, in terms of, you know, that team wasn't a great shooting team. They didn't have a lot of great shooters on that team. One of the things that they did that that kind of made up for it, and that Carolina team wasn't nearly as good defensively as Houston is, but they piled up extra shots because – you turned the ball over more than they did, and they killed you on the offensive glass. And so when you look at both of their final four games, I think one of them they had like 18 more shots than one team. I think maybe they had 15 more shots than Oregon in a one-point game. So you you look at it, that was that was kind of how their bread was buttered, and that was how they won, was they just made it to where they got more shooting opportunities than you did. I see a lot of that in Houston. When you look up and down the Big 12, I think there's a path for like Texas Tech to get there. I think you could see something where it's, hey, Pop Isaacs hits shots. You know, the the defense plays the way that it has at times. They could string together four games and maybe get there. But I, I do think that the number of good teams in the Big 12 and the number of teams that can make a Final Four, I, I think it's not nearly as high a number. Yeah, the one that, that maybe is most, I guess, peculiar to me is BYU because, sure. I mean, when, when you have a, a team that's so reliant on jump shooting and three-point, I, I, was, I was appalled when I looked back at, when I was getting ready for the Cincinnati game, um, looking at the box score of the Cincinnati-BYU game, where BYU took, uh, was it 46 three-point attempts compared to like yeah. 18 twos? I mean, that can allow them to beat anybody, which is very scary, but that can also allow you to lose to anybody, and especially if you're in an NCAA tournament setting where, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, things get a little bit tighter there, that they're the one to me that feels like the biggest wild card. Yeah, I would agree with that. One of my favorite games of this season was when Purdue beat Alabama because Alabama hit 19 three-pointers and got pretty much nothing else. (laughs) And Purdue wound up winning that game. And it was hilarious because I sent an email to 
to CBS stats and research, and I just said, you know, what what are the chances, basically, that you make 19 threes in a game and lose? It was the first time in three years that it had happened. You know, it was – they had broken up something like an 82-game winning streak for the team that that hit 19 threes. And I don't think BYU is necessarily going to come out and – you know, and do that regularly. But the problem is, is like you're saying, if you have a game where you take, say, 40-some threes and you hit 12 of them where you're shooting just well enough that you keep shooting but you're not getting points in other ways, you know, that that can send you home. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're definitely the team where I, I know whatever I do with them in my March Madness bracket, it's going to be the complete opposite for sure. Uh, right now, if you had to vote on Big 12 Player of the Year, who would be in discussion? Who would win the award? Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I think, you know, probably it, it would be McCuller. Uh, I think, you know, Jamal Shedd doesn't have the counting numbers, but I think when you look at everything that he does for Houston from a creation standpoint, from a defense standpoint, you know, it, it's one of those where I think people who actually watch Houston play can see, hey, this is one of the most valuable guys in the Big 12, you know, Taven Lipsy is interesting because I, I probably would have put him in that discussion and then Iowa State goes out and wins, what, at TCU without him? Mm-hmm. So, that I mean, it, it's, it's tough to tell. And it's funny because we did our All-America teams, like our midseason All-America teams, and I looked at Hunter Dickinson's numbers and just basically said, you know, no guy who plays for – a team that's having the success that Kansas does in a power five league and everything misses an all America team averaging what Hunter Dickinson does. And yet I I think, you know, and maybe I'm wrong about this. Somebody might say, no, it's, it's gotta be Hunter, but I think I would probably go with Kevin McCuller out of the two. Yeah. I mean, I think you just have more versatility with the defense and everything. So I'm fully on board with that as well. I I found it interesting because they kind of talked a little bit about that yesterday on uh, the broadcast as well. Well, Kevin, I appreciate the time before we let you go. Do you have a local prospect of the week? Uh, Yeah, actually, uh, your guys neck of the woods in in terms of Kansas recently went to Lawrence free state and offered both offensive tackles Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's uh, it's kind of an interesting deal. You know, they had offered the Salina Central offensive tackle earlier in the year. Free State has two six foot seven plus offensive tackles, which you don't typically see uh, around the state of Kansas. One of them, and the one I wanted to mention, uh, is Jack Fuchs. And if that name sounds familiar, it should. He's He's the son of, uh, of Scott Fuchs, Kansas's offensive line coach. And so he was good enough to actually get an offer from K-State. K-State offered before KU did, which, you know, is, was kind of a funny deal with, with him being Fuchs's son. But at the same time, you know, six foot eight, 280 pounds, good length, really good player. Uh, with him being 2026, 20, obviously he's only going to continue to grow and, and, you know, work on his technique and everything. He doesn't need to be a finished guy right now, but I did think it was, uh, it was interesting him being, uh, being a 2026 20, and, and getting that, uh, getting that offer from both in-state schools this early. So that, uh, that tells you a little something about what they think about him. Yep, pretty cool stuff. All right, he is uh, Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. Kevin, I appreciate the time, man. Nice talking to you. 
All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Again, check them out 24 7 Sports at K Flaherty 247 on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Two hours down, one to go. KU basketball takeaways, some Bill Self audio coming up in the five o'clock hour on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get to some Bill Self audio from the post game of KU Cincinnati coming up in our next segment. Jayhawks win 74 to 69 over the Bearcats in Allen Fieldhouse. Big Monday. Bill Self's what 35 and 0 at home on Big Monday. 35 and 0 That's at home. Incredible. On Big Monday. Well, you know what's more incredible about that? I can't imagine there's very many other coaches in the entire country that have played 35 <laughs> Big Monday games, let alone won all of them. It comes with the territory. You're Kansas, you're Bill Self, you get them. And boy, they knocked them down in some key moments, that's for sure. Yeah. So we're going to get to our KU basketball takeaways. Let's start here. Biggest positive. I feel like there's a very obvious one. Uh, Yeah, no, I thought DeJuan Harris was great. Thought, uh, oh, that, that is a little <laughs> surprising. Oh, wait, oh, I thought you, okay. wait, no. There's What's that flying through the sky? It's the Australian kangaroo. <laughs> Johnny Furphy. 23 points, 11 rebounds. Guy did it all. He's Michael Jordan the first four minutes of games. Do you think if I went to Bill's health and said, do you agree that my, do you, do you agree that Johnny Furphy is Michael Jordan in the first four minutes of games? What do you think he would say? He would clown you in the idea of, like, Michael Jordan is – the greatest player of all time or whatever you want to say him or LeBron. I don't care. I don't want to get into that discussion. Nonetheless, uh, no, he would he would not agree with you. Wow. Even if I just Sorry said in say. the first four minutes of games? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. But no, I mean, he's he's been killer in the, the opening parts of the game. Yeah, Johnny Furphy has to be the biggest positive takeaway because yeah. it's not just that he had a really good game and that in itself is positive. He led the team in scoring, led the team in rebounds, he was ultra-efficient, 7 of 8 from the floor, 4 of 4 from 2, 3 of 4 from 3. Got to the free-throw line, 9 free-throw attempts for the game for him. He also had 2 steals. It was just, he was awesome. Yeah. It's that it has a, a real tangible change or real tangible boost on how the rest of your season goes. So let me ask you this. And I think we've had this discussion in the past in terms of which player at their ceiling helps KU the most? Mm-hmm. The long-standing theory has been that El Marco, whatever his ceiling is, would be best for Kansas. Do you believe that is still true? No, I, I kind of always, I, I mean, I go back to like the first week or two of the regular season. I literally remember us having a conversation saying that I think El Marco Jackson might have the higher ceiling. Although, to be honest, I think but that I'm saying, is changed. Is that true? I'm saying no, is that true? It, right, right. But I remember saying that I thought Johnny Furphy was the best fit for what this team needed. Because if you're a fifth starter, it's more about what can you add to the rest of the guys around you. And he is more complimentary with the way that he can shoot the basketball and his length, whereas El Marco might more profile into being somebody you want the ball in his hands down the road. But yeah, I think I think potential now, the question you're asking, who even has the higher ceiling? Honestly, what? Like is as, it, as it much perfect? as El Marco was the McDonald's All American, and he has the ultra speed, and we've seen so many dynamic, fast, quick guards at at, at KU and under Bill Self have so much success. You're talking about a six eight, six nine wing with guard like skills, near who 40% is really good, at, a really good athlete, near forty percent for big as a freshman. I mean, in the day and age of basketball, where wings are becoming the the popular thing, yeah. 
I think it is Johnny Furphy with the higher ceiling. And I mean, especially like look over the last three years. You look at KU's All American players. It's Kevin McCullough right wings. now. Wings. He's a wing. Last year, Jalen Wilson, wing. Year before, Ochag Baji, wing. Wait, I mean, uh, you're going to have Hunter Dickinson this year, but. I know. Probably. I know. But also, like Christian Brown, he wasn't All American because you had Ochag Baji. But if hypothetically Ochai wasn't on the team, he's probably an All-American because he puts up bigger numbers. You know what I mean? Could have been, for sure. Yeah. So I, I do think, yeah, it is the case. And you've, you're have you still looking for now a sixth guy to develop, um, whether it's one of Timberlake or one of El Marco Jackson or what Matt Tate talked about earlier, where can it just be one of the two game in, game out, right? Like can yeah. Timberlake play well against West Virginia and then El Marco plays well the next game or something? Can that happen? That's fine. Yeah. But you've now at least solved... Who's the fifth guy? You know, sure. And yeah. and honestly, like, I mean, it's like a puzzle. You put one piece yeah, down, exactly. and it's like, okay, great, one piece in place. But, but honestly, now there's more pieces. At this point, if you're ranking your confidence level in KU players the rest of the season, Furphy's pretty high. Number up one and number two in some order is Kevin McCuller, Hunter Dickinson. Sure. Three. You can have a KJ. real debate. I I would say it's KJ, but, but you can have Furphy. a debate that Furphy could get as high as three there. Furphy's definitely four at this point. That's a wild conversation to be like literally a week ago or two weeks ago, whatever it was. He wasn't starting, and now you feel more confident in him the rest of the season than Dewan Harris, your veteran point guard who started a national championship game. He's just, it's. I know, I know. It's it. it we touched on it earlier in the show, but yeah, yeah I mean, with Dewan, I don't know. He's still good, but no, and I agree he's with you. Active. I'm just saying it is it is wild that that sure, we have fine. gotten to that point. But yes, yeah. I, Johnny Furphy is the biggest positive. Okay. I think the other big positive, though, that, that you could probably add in there is that Hunter Dickinson had foul trouble, and you still found a way to w- win a game where he was yeah. less active, efficient, again, because of the foul trouble than you normally would get from Hunter. Yeah, zero points in the second half for, for Dickinson. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I always talked about early on in the season was, I, I this is just how my brain works. I would always think t- to the things of, like, Okay, what is Kansas? How does Kansas play if this happens? How does Kansas play if this happens? And one of the biggest questions I had was, what if Hunter Dickinson is in foul trouble? And we kind of got that answer in this game against Cincinnati, where KU was still able to overcome that, and that was nice to see. Certainly, yeah, absolutely. I will throw one other one in there. Uh, I've I've harped a lot this season that I think Kansas can be better at forcing turnovers than they have been. They were in this game, twelve steals, yeah. four sixteen turnovers. You were, I guess, plus five if you want to look at it that way. In your turnover numbers, because you had five less than them. In terms of uh, points off turnovers, you ended up with 15 of them compared to eight. So that's a seven-point edge. You win the game by five. So that would be the other one that uh, I would throw in there. Uh, biggest negative for the game? Uh, grabbing a rebound. Yeah. Why don't we start with that one? That well, and it's, So obviously the rebounding in general, you lost 40 to 29. In the, it was your worst defensive rebounding rate of the season. It was one of your worst offensive rebounding rates of the season. That kept them in it. But specifically, it was just like just grabbing them, what you said, because yeah. it felt like I, I went back and rewatched the game. Hunter Dickinson just like dropped a couple of them. Parker Brown dropped a couple of them. Yeah. Parker Brown just dropped didn't a, fully engage in a couple of them. Parker Brown dropped a bad one yeah. in, the, uh, in the second half. So that that you would hope is is a little bit more. And fixable. then Hunter did this thing a couple times where he just punched the ball to no one. <laughs> I don't know what was I don't know what that was about. There was a specific play where he like it would have been a great tap out if there was a person within twenty feet. He just threw it. He just punched it out of bounds. I thought he was playing volleyball for a second. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, 
Uh, I would say making layups would be a negative here. Most uh, A lot of that was Dewan, but some other guys missed layups too. I know Furphy missed a layup at one point on like Eurostep. Overall, Kansas shot 61% at the rim, which doesn't sound that bad, but Division One average is 62%. So you were slightly below average. Again, Cincinnati's good at the rim defense, but yeah. you missed too many layups. That was kind of a negative in this one, not something that I'm worried about too much yeah. long-term. Bench scoring was tough. Yeah, two you points, had, which came at the very end. Yeah, I was going to say, you had zero points from your bench for basically, like, what, 38 minutes or whatever mm-hmm. uh, before you got two points. So, uh, again, I mean, we, we kind of touched on it with, with what you were saying and with some of the conversation with Kevin and Matt about how important is the bench. In the regular season, it's important because you can't be playing two games a week in Big 12 conference play and expect to get a high level night in and night out if you're asking the starters to play 35 plus minutes. Yes, for sure. Uh, neutral, biggest neutral of the game. Kevin McCuller? I mean, the efficiency. I still think overall he was a positive. I think so too. I thought the but... defense was good. He nobody was was scoring. Hunter Dickinson's in foul trouble. Furphy was scoring. Outside yeah. of that, your your leading scores eleven with KJ, which he got two buckets late. Somebody had to shoot the ball, and so he kind of no, did. I, he also no, I get steals. it. Yeah, hundred percent. I could almost argue Dewan Harris. 8.8 assists, two steals. That's good. Five turnovers, a lot of missed layups. That's bad, not good. Bad right? turnover late. He did have a couple highlight plays, like the one bounce yeah. pass. That was good. That could be a decent neutral. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe three-point shooting because neither team did it. <laughs> you know, I mean, Kansas ended up shooting 42% from three. Is that true? They were 6 of 14 from three, I'm pretty sure, in the game. I guess you're right. So what, that would be more than 42%? a neutral. Yeah. I guess yeah. it's not. I don't know. Free throw shooting. Both teams got their left. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see, play of the game, I think a couple you could go to. Uh, there was the one play where Kevin gets a uh, a ball, loose ball on a KJ Adams steal, passes it to Furphy, gets an and one. You had the the one Dewan Harris threaded through pass for the Furphy layup. You had a uh, Dewan Harris missed layup. Furphy grabbed the offensive rebound, kicks it out to Parker Brown, who immediately in the air while he's catching it, one motion, passes to the right wing to Kevin McCuller. He splashes a three. And then you have the uh, nail in the coffin from Johnny Furphy that puts you up 10 with the shot clock expiring on the three. Yeah, the shot clock expiring, the going up 10. I mean, that's got to be the play of the game, right? I'm fine with that being the one for yeah. sure, but I think there were a lot. It's funny because all of those we mentioned involved Johnny Furphy. I didn't even mean it to be that way. <laughs> it's just he was very involved. He was active last Johnny night. Johnny Furphy. Yeah. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Bills off audio next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.